Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis. I'm a marriage and family therapist and licensed professional counselor trained in trauma and addiction. The Asking Why podcast is for anyone on a journey of healing and restoration. If you are searching for answers to life's questions and want to learn more about root causes from a psychological and theological mix, this show is for you. In this podcast, myself and a co-host from Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness will interview guests on a wide range of topics in order to get down to the heart of the problems facing our world and understand why things happen and how to change the world and ourselves for the better. Want to learn more tips and tricks to living a healthy lifestyle? Visit us at Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness on Facebook and Instagram. If you want to meet our staff or book a speaker, go to clintdaviscounseling.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe today. Okay, welcome back. You're I Oxford, part two. It's good to be back. Man, I know we did such a terrible job last week. We had to have two parts. <laughs> we had to redeem ourselves. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so episode 34, this is Asking Why with Clint Davis. Um, we got Uri Oxford. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, episode 33, go back and listen to it. Um, it might help. I think we were going to do this podcast last week, and then we kind of got into some other stuff, and it was good, so we wanted to keep processing it. But So last week we talked a little bit, just to give a summary, about mental health in the church, um, leadership, pastors, uh, American church, and kind of how it's branched off and try to really bring a balance of why it is that so many churches become unhealthy um, and then how hard that is on pastors and how the congregation struggles, but also the pastors get put in a really tough situation and almost a, a, a lose-lose situation for a bunch of reasons. And so um, we got some good feedback already this week that that was helpful for a lot of pastors and people that listened yeah, to it. Yeah, I had a, a former pastor reach out to me, a couple, a couple of former pastors reach out to me and just say, hey, like you described my experience. Thank you. It was very validating and helpful for them so a lot of good feedback i i didn't know if anybody would care or be interested but apparently a lot of people out there are and have dealt with this and are maybe currently dealing with this so. yeah same thing i got current pastors who message me and people on staff and that were very affirming so but the the topic that we're here to talk about today um, is religious abuse so last week was kind of for the pastors and the churches and to help understand what's going on and this week i really want to key in on and say up front that we have empathy and we have compassion for pastors, for churches, for the American church. Obviously we're a part of it. Um, and that's all true, right? So two truths can happen at the same time. One is, is that pastors can be set up for failure. Congregations mm -hmm. can have a lap, lack of support and history of trauma and a separation of mental health that needs to be there. And we need to do something about that. And that's, I mean, what so much of what we do is, and that's true. While at the same time, that doesn't justify abuse, that doesn't justify continued unhealthy systems, and that doesn't uh, minimize or take away the trauma that victims of religious abuse and spiritual abuse um, have experienced. And so if you're out there and you're listening to this and you've had a really rough go with church, American church, church in general around the world, if you felt um, traumatized by that and it's made you abandon the faith or change your faith, um, this podcast is for you and we want to talk about what's happening and find some truth and find some meaning and, and just ask why um, those things happen and how we can change them. So Uriah, tell me a little bit about uh, what is, what do you define religious abuse as, or kind of what have you seen as a pastor and, and your, with your clients? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it comes back to um, really, I think at its core, it's 
It's when you have a, a leadership or a structure in place that can't be questioned. There, there's no accountability. And the moment a person begins to ask questions or, you know, even if it's just in their in their peer group, you know, they're immediately shut down. And then or and then shame happens, right? That that's really I think at the the root of the abuse is when the shame begins to set in and now you're shamed because you're not a good spirit-filled faithful Christian, you're not on board with the vision, you know, you don't believe in what the pastors are saying or the leadership saying and you're really you really need to go and check yourself before you wreck yourself. Like that's the that's the vibe that gets thrown at people. So it's a it's a whole lot of shame that just gets thrown at people and people just get stuck in that and then they start asking the question, well, maybe there's something there maybe it is me. Mm-hmm. Maybe it is me. And then they'll get stuck in that loop for a long, long time. And then if you have leadership that are constantly reinforcing that and uh, a, a tradition that's constantly reinforcing that, you will begin to believe that you really are the problem. And then once that happens, you've already crossed over into trauma, which, you know, I think you unpacked it last week, religious uh, trauma syndrome or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, once that shame sets in, then you're off to the races. And so, um, yeah, so to sum that part up, I would just say structures that cannot be questioned. Mm-hmm. And then and so and how, then, then the gaslighting and everything begins, and then that's when the trauma sets in. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. Yeah, the ga- there's spiritual gaslighting that goes on, and if people mm-hmm. don't know what gaslighting is, it comes from a, a film um, in the 40s or 50s, I can't remember. And the premise is essentially um, this man comes home every day and changes things in the house. So he takes pictures mm-hmm. down, turns off these gas lamps, turns mm-hmm. off lights, rearranges the furniture. And then he comes home and says, why is this move to his wife? And over time, she he starts to sell her on this mm-hmm. idea that he's not doing it mm-hmm. and that she must be doing it and blames her and shames her. And yes. she ends mm-hmm. up going insane by the end of the film. because, mm-hmm. And so we see that a lot in betrayal trauma and, and Kelsey Petty, who was on a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about it right before I was walking in here and she was like, yeah, re- remember to mention this, you know, but part of betrayal trauma, which, um, you can go back and listen to a whole episode on that, um, on our podcast is what people experience in church. They come expecting trust and security mm-hmm. and safety and, and vulnerability. And, and they come to be a part of this family, this community and they're, they show up and then they feel betrayed when the pastor falls or when the, the team shuts them down or when the, they show up for support and it's not there. Mm-hmm. And so then they go through this questioning period of, you know, why, why me? Why not me? Did I do something wrong? Is it my fault? Mm-hmm. And yes, the gaslighting happens spiritually when they come to you and say, well, you're not praying enough. You need mm-hmm. to read your Bible more. Mm-hmm. You need to come serve more. You, mm-hmm. you, you, you need to do these mm-hmm. things. It's not us. It's not our system. Nobody yeah. else complains. Yeah, that's the key word, do. Do, yeah. do, do. Like, you're just do-doing all over everything. Right. Just, yeah. And, and, and we know, and it's been said, and we've heard our preachers say, you know, religion spells do, Christianity spells done. You know, the final, you know, what Christ accomplished on the cross is final, irreversible. It's done. So we don't have to do 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 yes granted we do those things to feed ourselves but it's feeding ourselves for a spiritual transformation and connection and, and intimacy with christ through the holy spirit and so yeah you're right 
a lot of times people will go to their pastors or their leaders or whatever, and they and, and they just go off that spiritual checklist, which just compounds the problem and makes that person feel like, you know, ten times worse. Mm-hmm. And um, and then they just start believing it. And once you start believing the narrative that's been giving you, you know, that's when the anxiety, the depression, the suicidal ideations and everything is going to come because then you're sort of isolated and you, you don't have anybody to talk to. So not only do you have religious trauma, uh, but also you have the trauma of, yeah, being tr- betrayed, like Kelsey said, by the leadership, the shepherds that are supposed to shepherd your soul. So it's like this this two for one deal. Yeah. And I would say on top of that, like we talked about last week, you have a person who's coming into that situation who already most likely has trauma, a mm-hmm. family systems trauma, yeah. a brokenness in mom and dad. And how do I fit in the world? And, and the church is supposed to represent, um, you know, be the bride of Christ. And, um, and yet we're kind of this broken marriage already too. Mm-hmm. So it's like we're coming from people from broken families are coming into a broken family mm-hmm. and we're not honoring that. I think a lot of times the church wants to have all the answers and, and, and does right. The answer is Jesus, but how to contextualize that and teach that to a broken group of people means that we have to be broken. Mm-hmm. And so I think one of the problems, like we said last week is that we have leaders, teams who don't really know what that means, at least in 2021. I don't know what it's been all over history, but we have church leaders who have not merged their own family systems issues into their leadership from a biblical systemic, you know, therapeutic way. And so their, their team looks like a business model. Mm-hmm. And we talked about that Weston and I, Weston Brown, I think it was episode two about how when you put, or, you know, when you put organization over community, you have religion instead of community over the organization. And so that's another system that I think is like, we have to have butts in the seats. We have to have money coming in. We have to pay for these lights and pay for these, you know, salaries and pay the staff and pay and pay and pay and do all this with all this money. And so that means we have to have people showing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we don't have time to deal with this personal long traumatic issue mm-hmm. because we got to move on to the other people and mm-hmm. entice them into the system. Yeah. We got to get through today and it's got to be awesome. It's got to meet your needs. It's whatever. But then Sunday is rolling around really, really fast. Um, and we got to do it all over again. So the things that we say that we represent and want to do in the world are just uh, fluff, you know, whatever, it, it's really about butts and budgets. And me and Chip were talking about that. We came up with that phrase just before the podcast. Yeah, the we have to have butts in the seat and we have to have budget to do ministry. But I think that's where, and, and I've, I've been guilty of this too as, as a pastor and a church planter. Um, as long as you have butts and budgets, you're good and you can kind of fake it till you make it. And you hope that one day you'll get to a place where you are healthy and have more work where you can do things right. But that's just a pipe dream. That day rarely ever comes until it's too late, you know, and then that's when you begin to see pastors, you know, fall and then they're scrambling. The elders are scrambling to say, okay, we had it wrong for 20 years. We're going to put this in place. By then, the trauma and everything's done. And a lot of people have just checked uh, checked out of church and checked God off. Like, yeah, why would God, why would a good God allow this? Yeah. I think the other problem is checks and balances. How do you, 
how do you as a, a biblical church and and um well first yeah that's the thing right be biblical so i mean some of it's bad theology yeah, well, you know yeah. i think one of the things we see a lot are people coming in and saying i hate religion i hate you know i don't want to do any, anything to do with church it hurt me it wounded me yeah and they then relate that to god yeah so it's like god hurt me the church hurt me and i'm hurt mm-hmm. and, and rightly so and rightly so i mean yes other than god yeah you know but they relate that to god that god allowed this thing that he built to be the thing that hurt mm-hmm. and it's like yeah but that's they're not going off of the instructions of god and the leadership of god and the, mm-hmm. the model that christ had mm-hmm. yeah um i guess what i have come to terms with is we all have bad theology <laughs> absolutely you know it's going to be sorted out when we get there uh i'm going to go to saint paul and be like hey where did i have it wrong and and, and i hope he's going to explain it and i'm going to be like oh okay my bad uh thank god for grace but we we all have bad theology we um uh, we we call the these interpretive traditions so every community does interpretation inside its own community okay the problem is is we don't know where we're really wrong in some areas. You know, we we can, for the most part, know where we're right because if you look across the span of church history, and and orthodoxy, so-called orth, orth you know, teachings that are orthodox, um, there are checks and balances. Okay, the church historically believed this, 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 and this. Oh, we've never seen this. The church has never really believed this until the last you know, three hundred, two hundred, one hundred. 50 years five years five years in some cases so we we do we have to have those checks and and balances Um, where was i going with that but really it comes down to i I guess i've had to realize that i know i've got it wrong in some places i know i've got it right hopefully in most places in the places that really matter but unless you're really discipled to discern and know the difference you're gonna you can stay in trouble and just jump from one mess to another if you don't really have your good theology sorted out. And I'm, not, and I'm not talking about, you know, you have to go to seminary or Bible college or pay money for courses. Like, you just need to be really discerning, find the proper mentors to speak into you. And I tell people all the time, um, you know, if you don't have access to a, a pastor that you trust in, in town, YouTube, buy their books, go on YouTube download their podcast, let people that have been properly vetted, you know, nationally and internationally as spiritual leaders and spiritual advisors speak into you, even if it's from afar. And the Holy Spirit will use that and help you in your, in your healing journey and will help you in, in having the proper foundation theologically to be able to discern for yourself and how to move forward. Yeah. I think the danger in that for people, and I agree um, when you don't have the option, but I think the danger in that goes to the problem, which is we have people who are well-spoken or charismatic who are leaders who become the pastor of a church for that reason, mm-hmm. right? They get hired because, or they pick up after their dad or after another leader has fallen yeah. and they come in and they're knocking, they're knocking the doors off, right? The people are flooding in. They have great lecture points. They have great jokes. They put on a good show, got good organizational skills, but do people vet that, right? Do people go, hey, have you have you been through therapy? Like, let's talk about your pain. Let's talk about your trauma. Let's talk about your your testimony of God and what He's done to help you recover from your sin. 
Because I think that's really a, a hard question is, how has God redeemed you, pastor, who's coming in to leave my church? Mm-hmm. How are you learning about humility? How is things about you? But it's like we don't want to ask those questions because we don't want to know the answers. Yeah, We want them to come in and, and preach and teach and lead and, and put on a good show. And mm-hmm. then, we, like we said, it's both. It's not the pastor's fault. It's not the congregation's fault. But it's a systemic mm-hmm. issue. Mm-hmm. Right? We're not trying to find fault in this conversation. We're trying to figure out what are the pieces that are missing so mm-hmm. that we can clear up the the mess that's been made. Yeah. And uh, so you have somebody who goes, oh, I'm going to listen to so-and-so on YouTube and follow them and listen to them. Mm-hmm. But then there's no relationship there. Mm-hmm. There's no shepherding that can be done. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think there's got to be people in the church who are healthy emotionally and spiritually to be shepherding people and walking them through that without then abusing them. And there's far too many unhealthy people, broken people. I mean, we're all, again, all our theology is bad and we're all broken and all sinful, but there is a spectrum in which you do no harm. Mm -hmm. And I think because of the way the church is set up, there's this power differential that says this guy's a great speaker Mm -hmm. and he he communicates the word really clearly and good. So that that must mean he's emotionally healthy and in tune with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that might not be the case. It could mean that he's a sociopath. <laughs> right. I mean, seriously. Yes. Um, or, or, a narcissist. or a narcissistic personality disorder. Um, there's a book. I haven't read it. Somebody referenced it the other day. When Narcissism Comes to Church. Yeah. And um, I think we touched on that last week. Yeah. we And, and, and I did go back and listen to the Mars Hill uh, podcast thing. Oh, yeah, okay. And the church members are, are now saying, yeah, we, we take responsibility. We let Mark and some of the other leadership do this. Like, we allowed it. We enabled. Wanted, we enabled. We wanted him to be that, that gunslinger that was telling everybody, you know, what was up. And uh, it, it was working. And, you know, I listened to Pastor Mark back in the day and, and um, and got a lot out of his teaching. He was a fine expositor. I'm sure he still is a fine expositor. But the people wanted the they wanted the rock star. He was a rock star, mm-hmm. and they wanted that. And I think that's the problem. You know, I I'm an '80s kid. I'm a Gen X, proud Gen X '80s kid. And you know, we were raised on MTV. You know, my babe, my first babysitters were Madonna, Brian Adams, Dee Snider from Twisted Sister, the Beastie Boys. Mm-hmm. You know, they were my babysitters, and they were informing, you know, they were informing me of what was normal and what was acceptable, and what would be rewarded financially as success. And so I think we take all of that baggage of how we've been programmed and we and we project that on our pastors. We want our pastors to be rock stars and to stand out because it just it feels good to be able to go out into the community and say, yeah, um, Dr. So-and-so is my pastor. Yeah. So that's a great point, because, again, it goes back to broken family systems, because mm-hmm. if you have adults. I mean, you're essentially talking about tribalism. Uh, Jonathan Haidt has a great book, uh, Mm -hmm. Why Religion, Why Good People Are Divided by Religion and Politics. Mm -hmm. And he's a social psychologist. Um, He's he's Jewish. And he just goes through kind of historic uh, psychology and philosophy and and genetics and shows how, you know, we all want to be a part of a group. And we tribe up. But the more we tribe up, the more violence and the more conflict there is. Mm -hmm. And so you look at, you know, we're in Louisiana, so it's like LSU fans and Alabama fans, right? (laughs) And it's like literally LSU fans hate 
people from Alabama and Al- and Crimson Tide, like with a loathing. I mean, we'll cuss them out. We'll yell at them. We'll spit on them. We'll, you know, forgot mm-hmm. not all, but a good population of them will. Um, and it's a football team. Yeah. But when they win, man, that says something about me and mm-hmm. I rooted for them. And so mm-hmm. therefore I somehow get credibility for what these 18 to 22 year olds are doing. Yeah. And it's like, well, why is that? Well, you, you're insecure. Yeah. Your identity is in these external things, these external groups, and you're trying to find connection in a place. Yeah. And it's like church is the answer for that. Mm-hmm. But yet we have a group of people who were bought into this system of, if I follow this pastor, who's good, he's a good mm-hmm. speaker. Like you said, mm-hmm. then that says something about me. Yeah. I'm it, in this denomination and we have this theology, right? Yeah. And you idiots, you know, don't. Yeah. And I, I've definitely done that. Oh my God. I've, I've repented of that. God set me free from that. Um, oh, me too. I, it, it's like, like a uh, secondhand smoke, right? Like if I can just inhale a little bit of what this guy or this girl has going on, then that's going to speak favorably of me. When Jesus says, you know, I'm, I'm the way, the truth and the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the water of life. I'm the bread of life. Keyword life, life, life. And it's like, we will put our life, um, on the back burner or in the background because we don't have the faith or believe that God could love us or use us like he uses some other people. And we just, we just live vicariously off of their life and their spirituality and, and their gifts. When the scripture teach it, you know, that's what's awesome about um, Christianity. That's what sets Christianity apart is that you're a priest. Like, I'm a priest. We have access to the Father. I don't have to go to a guru, a priest, a bishop, or anybody to have access to Jesus. I just get along with God in my prayer closet because the Holy Spirit is alive in me and I have access. So I'm a priest. The concept is known as the priesthood of all believers. Mm-hmm. But in my experience in 20 years of being in ministry is that most people don't even know the, that what that concept means or haven't, haven't heard of it, but they just don't believe it. Yeah. They just don't believe it. And again, we just keep cir- circling back to trauma. Right. right? Yeah, it's like, why don't you believe? Well, you probably haven't been taught or you haven't experienced it. Right. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, me and you have kids and I have kids and, and I'm trying to teach them those things now. Mm-hmm. Hey, I want you to be better than daddy. I want you to be closer to Jesus sooner. I want you to be a disciple maker earlier. And obviously I'm not pouring that on my six and a half year old every, in all the nuanced way that, you know, we'll do it. But by leading by example, by teaching him that so that it's not a surprise when he's 25, you know, and, and being very clear, like, Hey, we're doing the best we can with the church that we have and the way that we do it. But you know, it's not perfect. And all of our theology and all of our ways and all of our things are not, we don't know if it's a hundred percent. So we have to listen to the spirit and we have to do the best we can, Mm -hmm. but we're still going to be a part of this community, even though it's not perfect Mm -hmm. because people hurt people, hurt people. Yeah. I was going to use that line uh, later, but yeah, that, yeah. Hurt people, hurt people. That's, that's a great theological truth. I mean, it, it just, yeah. Yeah. So what do you think are some of the main, uh, distortions you hear from people when they come in your office or when you work with them as a pastor, why they, you know, they're, they feel like they've been abused by the church or they want to abandon religion or they hate, you know, religion. What are some of the things that you hear that maybe the average person says, yeah, this is why Christianity's you know, junk, or this is why I'll never go back to church. Mm -hmm. I actually, seems like within the last 10 years, 
Um, I'm a lot of, I, I call them kids. I'm 45. So if you're 30, you're a kid to me. Um, cause that meant that you were a teenager when I was your pastor. Um, but a lot of them are coming back around <clears throat> and they're, they're leaving the church. Um, because really it, it comes down to um, just the, the, the church is just so judgmental, you know, uh, there's just there's just zero grace. Now, um, to be exact, you know, the context that I served in was in Baptist churches. Um, and so that's typically the type of kid that I'm talking to right now. They're like, OK, we left the church because the church is full of hypocrites. Like, OK, of course, I mean. We're all hypocrites, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when I needed grace and mercy and love, I was only—I was always hit with what a terrible sinner that I yeah. that I am. And there was nobody to just sit with them and walk uh, walk with them through their youthful naivete, through their trauma, through their through their questioning and through their doubts. Um, one, th- the thing that I love about uh, Baptist life and growing up in Baptist life is that, um, we're, you know, we stand on the word, the word is inspired, you know, um, let's not deviate from, from that. Um, but then it just begins to get so, uh, legalistic and, and judgmental so that when people, kids do come with legitimate questions that we all work through in seminary, um, they're hit with, oh, no, you can't do that. You can't question God. You can't ask those kind of questions. That, that's, that's heretical. That's, yeah, that's, yeah, you're, oh, gosh. I remember the first time uh, I had some questions. This is early 20s. I was talking with a colleague. We were both ministers, and he shut me down really quick. He was like, oh, man, gosh, you're, you're scaring me. And it made me, it, like, it was very shameful. Mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, I don't want to lose respect of this guy from this guy, and I don't want him telling my other peers and colleagues that I'm questioning and, and having having doubts. But oh, people apologize for that all the time he was in just, session. Just shutting shutting me down. And so I learned right then as a 23, 24 year old, oh, you don't speak about this publicly. So then that's when the enemy really gets a foothold because now you're isolated. Now you're an island. Now you're alone. You know, everybody else has great faith, and they're they're getting it done for Jesus. But you're over here doubting, you know, doubting and asking questions. So there was no space for that, and now we're reaping we're reaping what we've sown. And I know pastors' kids that are atheists now. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, people that were in ministry that are just avowed atheists now, like proud, like evangelical type atheists, like Sam Harris and those guys, and so. That's the biggest thing. It always comes back to, you know, I was judged and there was no space for me to have an open, safe dialogue about my questions of God. Yeah. I always want to insert this just to to be sure because I'm explicit instead of implicit. We're not saying that if you're, you do, you know, some people are doing all the things that we're talking about. Some churches, some pastors are healthy and they're in the word and they're sharing and their kids still turn away. Yeah, that's true. Right. It's not a guarantee there. We, you know, God was a perfect parent and Adam and Eve still chose to be disobedient. Yeah. I do think scripture teaches that the more we do that, that they come back, mm-hmm. right? That they return is what scripture says. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes we do the best we can and life happens and there's pain and there's struggle and kids move away or doubt or have fears and they spend some years kind of finding it and making it their own mm-hmm. thing. But I do believe what we see 
if those parents stay consistent and, and in tune with the Holy Spirit, that the, that, that kid comes back and, and renews their faith and it's their faith now. And it's even more of a beautiful picture. Mm-hmm. So we're not saying that if your kids have left or your kids abandoned the faith, it's your fault. No, no. We're not saying that people in the congregation, if they're not healthy, that it's the pastor or the church staff's fault. Um, what we're trying to say is how do we do a better job being aware and managing what we know to be a very traumatized, a very broken, a very fearful of religion culture that we now live in. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I would love it if there, you know, we have discipleship classes, small group classes, uh, Dave Ramsey, financial classes, all great Bible study classes. Uh, what if we had a doubt class? Like, bring your doubts mm-hmm. and let's talk. There's not going to be any judgment. And we're not going to bang you over the head with the Bible and, you know, we're not going to do Bible drill and make you memorize all these scriptures to, you know, force the the devil out of you for doubting. But, you know, what if there was a space where people could come and just say, hey, what about this? I read this in the Old Testament and, you know, God killed all these people with a flood and he you know only had a remnant on the ark you know what is that about what you know what it what about the parts of scripture where god says you know go and kill all the canaanites and their babies and smash their heads uh, uh, against the rocks you know what do we what do we do with all that um like we need to create space for that and really look at it and and try to understand you know what god was doing now I think most people forget we're we're dealing with an ancient book that was written, you know, parts of it was written, you know, 4,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago. I mean, we're dealing with the ancient culture and an ancient book. So things do get lost in translation. We just don't understand certain cultures. But there's really no place to sit down and ask those kind of questions. And then sometimes people just don't even know themselves they don't know the right questions to ask mm-hmm. i mean have you ever been in that situation no like yeah. in, in jujitsu i see you do that all the time you're just totally clueless and lost and don't know what to do <laughs> i had to insert a jab there of course but we do like when you started We're out in jiu-jitsu, a podcast we didn't know we didn't know what we didn't know therefore we didn't even know the right questions to ask well now you and i know a little bit and so we know the right questions to ask some people just don't even know where to begin and what to what to say yeah, so there's a bunch of reasons is what we're trying to point out. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think the church if we know okay, if we know what the reasons are. I think about it like being in the army, right? It's like, okay, we know what the enemy is doing. Mm-hmm. For the most part, we know what weapons they have, we know what mode of operandi they're going to take against us, you know, they're going to do landmines, they're going to do assaults on this, they're Well, if we know all the attacks, then and we know all of our failures and 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 um things that we're not going to do well vulnerabilities vulnerabilities yeah, yeah. if uh, if we know we have junk equipment from 1932 that we're going to be bringing into the you know like then we prepare against that mm-hmm. and i think that goes to part of the problem with the organization of of religion versus what christ brought in relationship and discipleship and 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 community is that the the organization has to admit that there's some failures mm-hmm. that we don't know at all mm-hmm as somebody was telling me, was that you that was talking about? You remember uh, somebody was saying at seminary, they, they were saying, be confident. Was that you? No, that was somebody else. But it was like, and they remember in seminary saying, you know, you present this 100% confident yeah. in what it is. Yeah, I said that last week on yeah. the podcast. Okay, yeah. so it's like, yeah, it's like, you can't have any doubt, pastor, right? 
And it's like, well, but that's not authentic. The pastor who's leading the church has doubts. Mm-hmm. You know, their wife has cancer, or they, you know, they've had their their wife's had an affair, or their husband's had an affair, or their whatever the situation is. They're questioning, how could you allow me to, how could this happen? I'm being a good person. I'm being a good, and they have to go into that because they've experienced it. And so as a leader, boasting in our weaknesses, as a church, boasting in our weaknesses, in my opinion, is vital to allowing our congregations to boast in our weaknesses. Mm -hmm. But what I hear a lot is church staff happens. We have this pastor who we, who is the spiritual leader, who's the talking head, who's great and amazing. We want to all support this pastor. If he's not here, none of us are here, mm-hmm. right? If if this good speaker, this good-looking guy, this dude is not leading, then none of us have a job, and the congregation falls apart, and we go to different churches. Mm-hmm. And so that's a bad structure. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, if something happens within the staff, it's not dealt with effectively. It's not dealt with well, and it's you know people are literally made to sign agreements that they won't speak about it. The congregation never finds out about it. And these things, you know, continue to be hidden. People continue to be gaslighted. And then staff members leave and they go to another church. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the cycle goes again. And that, and that's very abusive. And most of those people, again, it's like, why did they, why does the church allow that? Well, it started with a poor family system that had bad boundaries. Mm -hmm. You're coming to this church to hope that you can have a new healthy system and you find yourself right back in another broken family system that is toxic. Mm-hmm. And so it has to be that we're aware of these things. I mean, part of what we're trying to do is make the church aware of how they're a system. Mm-hmm. And that system is coming out of other systems, whether a different domination or another church or another placement. I mean, I think about the Methodist church mm-hmm. and how they shift pastors. Mm-hmm. So can you talk, I mean, how have you seen that when you go from one congregation to another? How does that play out? Um, so the theory behind that, and it, it sounds the philosophy sounds pretty good on on paper, but I haven't I haven't seen the you know I haven't really seen it be successful as as they would want it to philosophically. But the idea about about moving the the pastors around in the Methodist Church is um, God really knows what the congregation needs, and um, you can get too lopsided. You know, so if you have a pastor that comes in and she in the Methodist church, so I can say she, she's a prayer person. Well, the church can become lopsided and just be just doing prayer meetings all the time, but they're not out in the community actually doing, you know, doing anything. They're not doing evangelism. They're just praying and and that's it. So they'll move her and then they'll bring in, you know, a, a guy. Well, maybe he's heavy on evangelism so all they're doing in the community is leading people to jesus so there's conversions and baptisms happening but there's no discipleship happening and so philosophically it it makes sense you know philosophically it 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 does kind of make sense that you don't want churches to stagnate and have the same pastor for 25 years because that would be unhealthy now on the flip side of that when i was in the baptist church it was not uncommon to see a person come in and be there for 25 or 45 years and they're just like the same church for 45 years and then when it comes time to hire a new person they just hire a carbon copy of their old pastor well Uh that's that's not healthy either so why is it unhealthy for them to be in uh, the same pastor for 20 years 
Because past, so the the term that I the old term is sugar stick. So okay. pastors have a certain sugar stick usually that that they just they beat the drum over and over and over. And so what happens to congregations is they don't get the whole counsel of God's word, you mm-hmm. know, because God is God is God is love. God is grace. God is mercy. You know, Jesus is salvation. You know, you flip to the last book of the Bible. God is just. <laughs> There's wrath in God. Uh, God hates sin. God hates divorce. God hates sexual immorality, you know, um, and a lot of times pastors and churches would just kind of like this is who we are this is what we do and they brand themselves around one facet of what the scripture teaches and they neglect everything else that the that scripture teaches and so then we raise up christians boys and girls that become men and women and mommies and daddies who have just like this lopsided theology Mm -hmm. and they don't really understand all of what god has has called them to do and so why does that happen why would like where's the checks and balance so i mean it's kind of going back to what we talked about but it's like so no matter if it's the methodist who switch pastors or whether it's a baptist church who has a pastor there for 25 years it's not it doesn't sound like it's actually the the system that's like the change of the system that's the problem it's who's holding that pastor what's the system that holds that pastor accountable to teaching the whole word is it is it that there should be a lead pastor Right? Is it that they're, you know, the associate pastor, the youth pastor, like they're all equal in the eyes of God and their authority with a different role, mm-hmm. and so they're they're communicating with each other and finding balance in what they're teaching, or is it there's just a one guy hammering everything out with no accountability, mm-hmm. and that guy happens to be charismatic and narcissistic and has mm-hmm. a big ego, and so he looks great, yeah. and the church is fine with that because it it makes them look great. Mm-hmm. So that's one, I think, one part of the broken system is, is that, is that mm-hmm. the solution isn't whether you should be there. Tw- it, the problem isn't that you're there 20 years or that you switch from male to female. To, right. It's that there's no system in play underneath that from the community, from the congregation to hold that. Like the congregation has to hold that accountable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the ancient church had a system. You know, you read the ancient church about the the, count, the different councils and everything like that. They're... I was talking to somebody yesterday. I met a person named Nick, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's one of my favorite saints, St. Saint Nicholas, you know, Santa Claus. And there's a my favorite story about St. Nicholas is that <laughs> he, I think it was Arius or, you know, uh, somebody was uh, saying something heretical about Jesus. So St. Nicholas just just stands up and dope-ops him in the face, like just sm- punches him or slaps him in the face and spends a night, spends a night in jail, you know, because he couldn't deal with, deal with the heresy why did i why did that come up you met a guy named nick met a guy named nick what did you ask me before that we're talking about the systemic uh systemic uh problems with the church yeah i got excited about santa claus punching somebody right there so that had a point maybe it'll come back maybe it'll come back (laughs) later what was the question before that well we were talking about um the fact that it's not that they stay there 20 years and it's not that they switch it's that there we're talking about councils and the fact that there's, you know, you said the ancient church used to have a council. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. They had councils See, where there I were was listening to you. Yeah, there were checks and balances, and and you would have to show up and and like, hey, as we have grown as this thing called the Church of Jesus Christ, talking about the ancient church, this is what we 
this is what we see and understand to be true and and orthodox teaching this is what we're hearing that some of y'all were doing and we've got to stop that now guys and so the ones that would um sign on the dotted line which they did have to sign documents even in the ancient church they would do it and continue on in a healthy church structure and then there was always those outliers and those rebels that just wouldn't do it and they would be cast out from from the church and you know church history is is so complex you you always there was always outlier outliers and friends groups doing their own thing with partially good theology but partially bad theology but the ancient church seemed to have the councils and the the structure in place um but there was more at stake back then too you could really be thrown in prison you could really die for your faith back then so i mean that's part of it too there's really i mean what's at stake right now i mean in some ways people would say everything yeah absolutely on on a, on a supernatural theological uh eschatological you know uh, level of thinking yeah everything's at stake but for the modern 24th century soccer mom soccer dad what's really at stake right if i don't go to worship I mean, as far as persecution yeah yeah if i don't go to worship and i don't tithe then i don't grow spiritually what's really at stake and i think well who holds you accountable to yeah that? most people uh, I, I i think are, are thinking behind closed doors well you know it's really not that big of a deal i can have well seasons. i'm not on staff hmm? i'm not you know it's like i'm not on staff i can show up when i want to mm-hmm. you know i think that's that's what we're talking about is it's both and it's the staffs are need to be emotionally healed and and deep in their understanding of their own stuff and their own trauma and their own family system and what they're bringing to the table. And then there needs to be rich accountability biblically continuously. That should be the main goal is for the staff of the church to be working out their own health together with someone outside of the church, with, you know, the church members Mm -hmm. so that there, there's an assessment of how healthy are we in communication? Mm -hmm. How healthy are we in humility? How you know going through the spiritual gifts? Are we gracious? Are we kind? Are we loving? Are we patient? Mm-hmm. Like let's assess this constantly because this is what will show us that fruit is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And it, and each staff member should be able to speak into that. Mm-hmm. But the system's set up where staff members can't do that because there's authority and it's a business and you get a pay paycheck and you know I mean it's a mess. Mm-hmm. And so if that's not happening on the staff level, then how are you bringing a congregation into that type of idea? Mm-hmm. Because we, you can't hold random people accountable for not tithing or not showing up if you're not doing that yourself. Mm-hmm. And so then you allow them to hold you accountable. Hey, we this is what we do every day. We take care of our marriages. We take care of our pastor. We take care of our things. We we're honest and we confess our sins to one another. And we have a time of prayer and you know we have all these things. And and here's what we struggle with. Here's what we're getting help with. Mm-hmm. Um, so call us on it. Mm-hmm. Ask us about it. If you see something wrong in, on a sermon, email in. I mean, I'm sure half the pastor would say, yeah, man, I get enough emails every Sunday about, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But it's how is there a a reciprocation in that from congregation to staff? Mm-hmm. And who's, I would really say, outside of the church speaking to that too, that doesn't have an agenda, doesn't have a, a bias. And I think that could be 
one of the major answers for churches is like, who do you have outside of your church and your leadership and your congregation holding you accountable? Yeah, uh, there is a a movement, and, and I saw this happening when like church planting got really, really big again in the, let's just say late 90s, early 2000s, like church planting was like the cool thing to do in Christianity, in North American Christianity. And it was, but it was no longer about denominations. There was like church planting networks were popping up. And so uh, a pastor could plant a church and have a staff, but maybe they had been in an institution or a denomination previously and didn't have anything that you were talking about, but they would set up an outside board of directors basically. And that board of directors didn't worship there. They weren't part of that, that church or anything. They weren't tithing there or anything like that. But that was their task, was to sit with that pastor, I don't know, quarterly, whatever, and, and ask the hard questions. Uh, John Wesley, the, found, you know, the guy that started the whole you know, Methodist movement that really uh, impacted the world in North America in significant ways that we forgot, he would ask his ministers uh, daily, how is it with your soul? Right. How is it with your soul, sir? And there was an expectation that they were going to be fasting, I can't remember, uh, fasting daily or three, uh, not fat, yeah, fasting, but also taking communion like often, like weekly, multiple times a week. And he's on record for saying, you know, I've got so much to do today, I can only spend four hours in prayer. Like John Wesley <laughs> did that. Now, mind you, this dude is on horseback, trekking across the country, being a bishop, pouring into congregations, pouring into churches, but he still made that time to have four, you know, four hours a day in prayer for him was like five hours of five minutes of prayer for you and I. But that accountability was there, but those expectations were there. I mean, really, that's what it comes down to is expectations. Um, most churches and leadership, the only expectations is, can you grow the church? Can you grow the budget? Can we have yada, yada, yada? And it, and it just stops there. Yeah, I was also thinking about Acts and the the start of the church and the disciples. Mm-hmm. And they, I mean, they're the start of the church, these 12 guys hanging out, and, and lots of ladies too. I mean, Mary and Martha and, you know, lots of other yeah, women. Yeah, the, the early Jesus movement was about 150 people. Like, mm-hmm. like, we may not know that, but there was like, there was just that, you know, he fed five thousands, but really there was about 150, 200 people that really followed him around and was had really signed on the dotted line of the movement. So and so, what did they do every day? Right, they hung out together, they ate together, they they lived together, they worshipped together, they prayed together. And the question is, do do church staffs do that? Mm-mm. Right, it's a business. We do it at Christmas. Well, that's what I mean. <laughs> Christmas like, party. You know, people people don't eat dinner together, and they're not hanging out together, and they're not confessing their sins together. Families don't do that. Well, no. <laughs> Back but to I, the I, but I think But I think that's a product of the church. Mm-hmm. America is after the church. Mm-hmm. And so the, the church of, of Jesus has to model for whatever culture it's in how to do family. 100%. Yeah. Right? The, if, if I am, you know, Christ and JC is the, the church— in the model of marriage, then the church has to teach me that. Mm-hmm. It has to show me how to be Christ and her to, her to be the church in marriage. Yeah. So if I'm a kid growing up in Christianity, then the church has to model everything that it wants me to do. Mm-hmm. 
which means if it wants me to be in community, it has to be in community. Mm -hmm. So the church staff have to be friends, mm -hmm. have to be family, have mm -hmm. to be in community. Praying together, fasting together. Confessing weekly. together. Confessing, yes, absolutely. You know, spending time together, hanging out with their kids together. Mm -hmm. That has to be the cornerstone or how do you expect people who come from different parts of town, different situations, who are in Bible studies, quote-unquote, to ever hang out? Mm -hmm. It's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we have right now is mm -hmm. we have a business model. We have a head pastor who's the, the great speaker and the good guy. Then we have all these other people who are on staff, but they're on staff to get a paycheck to do a service or it's a stepping stone for them to become a pastor or to move on to bigger and better. Things. Oh yeah. That's a whole nother thing, right? It's still mm -hmm. that business model. Um, and so are they friends? Do they hang out? Mm -hmm. Is there conflict? Do they know how to resolve that family conflict? Mm -hmm. Do they hold grudges? You know, is there pettiness? Have we worked that pettiness out? Is the pastor, the father, the mother, is he working through that with them to make amends on a daily basis, on a weekly basis to restore whatever happened the week before? Because that's going to constantly happen in a family. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's the biblical model. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, just as much as like conflict, right? It's like biblically, if there's conflict between me and you, biblically, I'm to go to you by myself and mm -hmm. try to make amends. Yeah. Try to have a conversation. Yeah. And I should do that once or twice. If that mm -hmm. doesn't work, I should bring one of our other friends. Mm -hmm. Just go get Coach Mike and say, hey, man, I need to talk to Uriah. Mm -hmm. He's not listening to me. We've tried to resolve this. Can you come and you know, be an intermediary? Mm -hmm. And if that doesn't happen, you bring your small group that you attend. Mm -hmm. And if that doesn't happen, you bring it before the church. Mm -hmm. Right? And if that doesn't happen, then... You expel. Yeah. If there's I mean, that, that's yeah. what St. Paul does. Exactly. Ex expel the immoral. Now, we know if you do all that, the Holy Spirit, 99.9% .9 works it out before that ever gets to an expulsion point. Mm-hmm. But we don't even, we go straight to the pastor. We go straight to the congregation. We go straight to the gossiping. We go straight to the thing before we even go to the person. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, we don't even know how to do that part. Mm -hmm. And so it goes, well, why don't we as congregation members know how to do it? Mm -hmm. Well, does the staff do it? Have, has the staff brought something forward? Let it trickle down and go, hey, mm -hmm. we had this thing happen on staff where there was sin. Yeah. And there was an argument. And there was brokenness. And this is how we repaired it. And we want to show you a model of how we did that. Mm -hmm. Or do we never communicate that yeah. because we want the congregation to think we've got it all together. Yeah. We're killing this thing. I've heard so many churches, you know, pastors will see a ton say, yeah, we had this conference. We put it on. It was amazing. The whole time we were fighting and arguing this person, you know, wasn't there. This person had drama. We had this person come in and sing and they didn't know anything about it. And the congregation loved it. They showed up. It was a great time. But mm -hmm. there's all this drama going on, mm -hmm. you know, where we had this um, retreat that happened. And on Facebook, we posted a great marriage retreat and, you know, but it was just a bunch of drama behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And that trickles down. Mm -hmm. And the problem is, is that it's actually empowering to acknowledge that those things are there, mm -hmm. that our theology might be off, that there's conflict on staff and then model as the church how the congregation should work that out. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the, the phrase I'm thinking of is, you know, find your holes and then fix, fix them. But plug you can't them. Find, yeah. You can't plug your holes if, if you don't have somebody looking for your hole, you know, for the holes. Um, the last time I saw it done, well, I actually had to do some church discipline where, you know, we followed the guidelines 
uh, there was, I mean, there was just something going on, some church members and me and the co-pastor, we went to the person, you know, did it by the book, by the scripture before the church and they still would not change. And this, these people were in leadership. So we were like, Hey, uh, we love you, but, um, you knew what we were about coming in. You know, you knew where we were theologically, what our vision was, what the expectations were for leadership because expectations in leadership in, in a church are generally higher than, and should be, and, and should be the scripture teaches. We will be judged at a higher standard. And so we had to let people go. And, uh, and then I was just raked over the coals. You know, I was a, I was a bad pastor person, ungracious person. And I'm just like, okay, there was sin in the camp that had to be, that had to be dealt with, or it would have affected every, everybody else. Uh, but when I was a kid, I saw my pastor actually do this with my stepfather. My stepdad, you know, was an alcoholic. He, uh, he did make a profession of Christ, uh, profession of faith in Christ and got baptized when I was probably about 12, 13 years old. But because of the alcoholism, he just, you know, kept going back to the bottle. And it was crazy. I hadn't thought about this in so long. He actually backed my cousin's truck. He was so drunk, he actually backed my cousin's truck into uh, a lake and was so out of it that uh, he was going to drown. And my cousin had to dive in and save him. And my pastor made both of them stand because they had both been recently been baptized, he made both of them stand before the church and repent and confess and to seek their prayer support and love. And I thought, my God, this is the most embarrassing thing that I've ever gone that I've ever been through in my life. But people will force you to do that sometimes. They will force your hand to make you go to those extreme measures. And when you do, now I know my pastor back then, he was doing it out of love for me and my brother and my mom and just that whole family and community in that church. But um, I don't know if that's the answer, but I I, I do always come back to the higher expectations for pastors and staff and churches in general. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a again, it's a case by case basis, mm-hmm. right? It's relational. It's like what what is going to work for this person, and who what the Holy Spirit's calling for them, and biblically for them might be a little mm-hmm. different than yeah. And that might have been the wrong call by my pastor to do that to my stepfather. He might have gotten more mileage by sitting down with him weekly and just doing pastoral counseling. Exactly. Know? Imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Well, we know about addiction, right? You can shame in somebody in front of, on the stage, you know, in front of everybody's different. Now, if it's of your own volition, right? If you're a person who's repented, you're really close in the church, people know you well, and you feel the call to use your, you know, confess your sins to the congregation as a way of encouraging them that Jesus can heal you. Mm-hmm. That's a different thing. Mm-hmm. But just confess, you know, making somebody stand up there and confess to put them at ease. To, to get their forgiveness like that. I don't necessarily think that's appropriate or, or helpful because as the congregation, we don't, we, we shouldn't need other people to confess to us. It's nice when they do that's for them though. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not for us to give our uh, a stamp of approval for their sin. Mm-hmm. And so I get it, but I think it's nuanced in the sense that, you know, there would have to be a bunch of steps that have happened before that becoming the thing mm-hmm. right? that we mentioned earlier, one-on-one, you know, small group, larger small group than the church mm-hmm. you know and sometimes people just skip that step i've seen that with uh i can't remember what pastors it were but they have you know infidelity or they've had you know 
abuse or, you know, uh, sexual harassment or whatever, and they come forward and they apologize to the congregation, and it's like, okay, I apologize, let's move on. Well, that's not all that it takes. You know, that forgiveness and trust are two different things. Mm-hmm. And Jesus says to forgive seven times, 70 times, but he mm-hmm. doesn't say to trust. Mm. And so, you know, I think it's our, our responsibility to salvage relationships 100% as Christians. We should, when pastors fall or there's sin in the church or sin in leadership or abuse, then it's a work for the church to heal those things and make amends and heal the betrayal trauma and 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 walk. You know, we've created the mess. We better walk in the mess with people for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and we better have the structures to do so. And that means it's going to be uncomfortable and painful. Mm-hmm. But that's the forgiveness piece is a process of going okay what happened to you so if a if you if somebody comes forward and says man i was abused or this guy sexually harassed me or this woman did this thing this person had an affair okay i hear you i see you you know let me sit with you let me hear your story let me hold your pain let me accept that um what could we have done differently to help with that what are some holes that we can loopholes that we can plug that we can figure out how we could have done that better um is there anything we need to make amends for repent from that you feel like hurt you and wounded you Let's do all of that first. Let's validate you. Let's ex- explore mm-hmm. that with you. Let's find a way to take responsibility for you know for you, so you see that we're safe, mm-hmm. that we're authentic, that we're here with you, that we're gonna mm-hmm. we're gonna validate what's going on for you and your experience. And then, you know, they have to be able to then go and say, what are we gonna do? So that's understanding what happened to that person. The second part of that salvage piece is going, okay, um, can you make sense of why they did it? Can we figure out why that pastor's in a position to sexually harass you? Does he have an addiction? Does he have trauma? Does he need help with communication skills? Was it just a slip up and he's immature and he made a stupid comment, which is horrible and wrong and shouldn't happen. Mm -hmm. But what do we need to do to make sure that never happens again? Mm -hmm. Because we need to evaluate why it is that this guy or girl did what they did. We need to ask why. Mm -hmm. And then we need to have a process in which we look into that to see the root causes. Because what that does is, that helps that member, the congregation member, realize that their unhealth and their betrayal and their trauma and their abuse of you has nothing to do with you. Mm-hmm. We're going to support you surviving it and you recovering from it, but th- th- we need to explain to you and they need to explain to you why they did it mm-hmm. so that you can understand that it has nothing it, to do with you. I'm so glad you said that. It's huge. Yeah. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. So if pastors has a staff member who screws up, we can't just say, I'm sorry. We have to ask why, and we have to dig into, why did this person gamble away the funds? Mm-hmm. Why did this person lie in this situation? Do they have a history of lying? Mm-hmm. Where does that come from? Oh, it comes from you having to lie to survive your dad's abuse. I mean, whatever the situation is, is going to come out. But as a church, we're responsible as a staff to figure that out mm-hmm. so that we can have a robust response. Mm-hmm. Right, so that we can go forward and say, our staff member did this. We expected it because we're all sinners. We all have junk. We all have a mess. We're all capable of this. Mm-hmm. Why is it that they did it? Mm-hmm. So that, that congregation member can feel seen and heard. They can understand it. They can differentiate their pain from mm-hmm. the problem. How do you think that actually works, though? When, when, like, let's just say you're the. Well, I know pa- this is extremely idealistic, but yeah. <laughs> so let's just say you're you're the pastor and okay. and I'm hurt and we do get the explanation of why that person hurt me. Give me an example. Um, well, let me give you a better example. Let's say 
you're the pastor and maybe a female, you know, uh, maybe she was a, a sexually assaulted, you know, by a, a one of your staff members. Okay. And you explain to her, you know, once you do the work and the digging and you find out that person's trauma and you come back to her and say, okay, we did some digging. We didn't know this about this person. Well, this first, is, this well, first is I we wouldn't just, hide it. First, I would have a policy that we're going to, the staff's going to know what we're dealing with as we deal with it. Okay. Not the congregation, but the staff. Okay. So you go and you do that part and you come back to this, this person and you're like, this is what we've discovered about this person. And here's why he did that to you. What is that supposed to do for me? And how is that supposed to help me? The why part. If you're the victim, mm -hmm. it's supposed to help you um, depersonalize the situation. Right. It's supposed to help you look at it through the like you can't forgive if you don't understand why it happened. Mm -hmm. And I do think that forgiveness is is healing for the per, the victim. Mm -hmm. But that's different than restoration. Mm -hmm. Right. That's different than making amends. Mm -hmm. No one's asking the, the, the victim to make amends or restore the relationship. And if it's if it's a, a serious allegation or serious abuse situation, then that staff member needs to probably move on right or take a break until that congregation member is healed mm -hmm. now if that congregation member is healed and they're taken through the proper process of making mm -hmm. amends understanding it restoring and that congregation member says in their heart the holy spirit's moved me to forgive and to make amends i understand this and then that perpetrator the guy, the person who made the mistake has done the work then it comes together beautifully and there's restoration mm -hmm. but that takes time mm -hmm. And so what it's supposed to do for us to explain is not to justify or make excuse for it. Right. But it's so that the person can go, oh, crap. You know, like, now I understand it. You know, this guy's wife's had cancer. Or this guy's wife or this girl's, what you know, whatever's happened and they're in a bad spot. That's never happened before. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it depends on the level of offense, really, too. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's different if somebody makes a pass and does something inappropriate. Mm -hmm. Or if somebody hid some money or somebody, you know, used the credit card for a lunch versus mm -hmm. spent $5,000, you know, I mean, <laughs> there's different levels. The sin's mm -hmm. the same, but the consequences for those sins, I guess, would extrapolate out to what those consequences could be. Mm -hmm. But what it's supposed to do to understand why is to put it in context and perspective of the likelihood of it happening again. Mm -hmm. And also to depersonalize for the victim that this, this doesn't have anything to do with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is why I, you know, last week I mentioned, you know, going through this agnostic leaning towards atheism phase. And so this is, I'm not trying to do evangelism or proselytizing or anything right now on the podcast. That's not what today's about. But this, this would be my case for uh, having faith and, and walking with God and the Holy Spirit in this, because you could say those things to me and and, and I could intellectually begin to depersonalize from that situation. But really, unless I have the Holy Spirit in me, do, working the healing in me, working it in and working it out, I'm just going to, I can have an intellectual knowledge of, of the psychology of that, but until I really yield to God and His Spirit to work the healing in me, I'm just going to stay stuck in that situation, which is going to potentially lead me to go and find or, or seek out another unhealthy situation and more trauma happens all yeah, over Yeah, so, Paul, it, it has to happen at the same time with the, with the congregation member, with the victim. Mm 
The same amount of community support that's going to the perpetrator to figure this all out and get them therapy and find healing and get accountability and research why they did it and all those kind of things. Parallel at the same time is, and more so, swooping around the, the victim to support them, to validate them, to hear them, to get them into therapy, to make this thing not about their them and their worthlessness and their selfishness, to take responsibility, to not invalidate. Mm-hmm. And so all that's got to be happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. And if the person's not a Christian, let's say they're just in your church, mm-hmm. right, and they, they don't have the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. then that's going to look a little different than the accountability that you're going to have with somebody who is rich in the community who mm-hmm. is there. Mm-hmm. Because ultimately, after all of that, after all that validation, after that support, after that therapy, after that trauma recovery, and enmeshed in there, they're still responsible for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. They're not responsible to restore, right. to go back in relationship, to show up where that person's at, to be involved with that person, to go to Bible study with that person, mm-hmm. to be in any vicinity with that person. Never again do they have to see them. Mm-hmm. They're, but they are responsible to forgive because that frees them. Mm-hmm. And underneath all that is two messages. One, that idea that you would never do it. And two saying, I don't understand why a person could do that. How could a pastor watch porn and preach the next Sunday? Mm-hmm. How could a pastor cheat on his wife and still be a man of God? How could a pastor, um, how could a youth pastor flirt with this high school girl, make a pass? How could this woman uh, manipulate or lie? How could this person, you know, spend money on their family off out of the church funds? How could this person come in and yell at everybody in staff meeting? Mm-hmm. We sit in such a high horse authority, you know, when we look at pastors and church staff and say, well, if you're that staff member, you should never do those things and it should never happen. If it does, how dare you? Mm -hmm. And on one hand, that's true. If we've done all the things that we've been talking about for the last three hours of these podcasts, Mm -hmm. it's way less likely. Mm -hmm. However, as a, as a member of the church and a member of the body, with the Holy Spirit, we're sitting there going, well, man, I'm capable of all kinds of horrible stuff too. Mm-hmm. Look at what I've done to my wife and my family and my mm-hmm. myself. Mm-hmm. And if I was in their position and with their family history and their stuff, I would have done the same thing. Mm-hmm. That doesn't justify it or minimize it or take it away or make you have to excuse it. But in your own heart, what it does is it lets you go, I'm a sinner too. Yeah. And yet by the grace of God, mm-hmm. I would deserve the full wrath. Yeah. So uh, again, we're just coming back full circle to having good theology. I yes. mean, that's good biblical theology that we would all agree on Catholic, Protestant, charismatic, Pentecostal, not we would all agree that that's good theology, but we haven't, we haven't served it that well. Like the way you just articulated that it's like, there needs to be a class where you hear that before you can even join the church. Right. Well, that's the point, right? I mean, yeah. and that's what we're hoping. And again, that- the early church did that. Like, you could only get baptized uh, that one, you know, once a year on Easter Sunday. But before that, you did like three years of catechism before you even came into the fold. If you weren't a baptized believer, you you weren't even able to come to worship or take communion. Now, I'm not saying we need to get that extreme. They were still <laughs> trying to figure things out uh, as they went along. But 
like where can we find that sweet spot of having high expectations and accountability while discipling people, giving them proper theology without it being just dead orthodoxy? That's why we pushed all that away because it just became dead institutional orthodoxy. Well, well it still became well, about power and control and about yeah. being able to tell if somebody's saved or not saved and then reaping the benefits from all of the things that come with community. And we never know that. You know, our, our position as Christians is not to know whether someone else is saved. Mm-hmm. Our position, I mean, I even think with the Bible, like when you read the Bible and you find yourself trying to use it as a tool to speak into someone else's life, it becomes very problematic. Then you need to be using it as a tool to speak into your own life and asking, mm-hmm. am I living this way? Yeah. How am I not living this way? Yeah. And if you feel above living that way, then you need to be wrestling with your own heart. Mm-hmm. If you feel incapable of living that way, then you need to be checking yourself. Amen. Because you are fully capable of every sin that everybody's ever committed. If you had their childhood, if you had their parents, if you had their ethnicity and their gender, you would have done the same thing. Mm-hmm. And the only reason you're not them is by the grace of God. By the grace of God. Because you didn't, I didn't wake up and go, you know what? I'm going to stop watching porn or I'm going to stop getting drunk or I'm going to stop losing my temper. You will not do that in your flesh. No, you won't even have the desire to no, give it it's up. it's impossible. Inca- right. You're incapable of even having that thought. Exactly. So the grace, and that's theology. That's theology. And that's humility. And I think Jesus modeled that really well in saying, I am, I can't do anything apart from the father. Mm-hmm. These plans are not mine. These ideas are not mine. This ability, this strength, this resolve is not mine. It's God's. Mm-hmm. I'm nothing. He's everything. Mm-hmm. That's what brought him to the cross. Yeah. That's what allowed Jesus to push forward in a place of pain and pressure and doubt and fear is mm-hmm. that he trusted his father. Mm-hmm. And he didn't make it about him and his ability to please his father mm-hmm. or his ability to be good enough. He said, I'm not. I'm not nothing. My will, not my will, but your will be done. Take this cup from me, but not my will be done. Yours be done. Yeah, and so we have to realize, I said this quote the other day to, to you or somebody, like, everything has nothing to do with us. Mm-hmm. That's good. I like that. And and when I check myself in marriage or with my kids or as a therapist and I'm angry or frustrated or feeling like I deserve something or feeling like mm-hmm. justice has not been done or this isn't fair, it goes back to that Job thing of like, where were you? Yeah. <laughs> where were you when I did all of this and made all of this? Yeah, where were you? Did you put the, what's he say? Did you put the belt on Orion? Like, that's mm-hmm. one of my favorite parts. Mm-hmm. Where were you when, like, he starts talking about the Leviathan and the sea creatures and all the weird stuff that the Old Testament has. It's like, yeah, where were you when I did all this? Right, and so do you trust me is really the question. Mm-hmm. Um, do you trust me to not harm you and to take care of you and to say, you know, to, to do the work in your heart? And I think that's what each individual person has to be thinking and, and working through. And I think the beautiful part about Job is that then he goes back and it's, you know, it's missed often, but then he goes to that part where he's like, were you here when, you know, are you there when the doe gives birth to the fawn? Mm -hmm. And so God is this big, amazing, powerful thing that we should just give, Mm -hmm. right? It should not quote unquote question, Mm -hmm. but that's not really the story, right? Mm -hmm. It's that he is big. And ultimately what it comes down to is do we trust him because we're not God, Mm -hmm. which is killing our pride and emptying ourselves and letting it all be about him. Mm Mm-hmm. But he's gracious enough to say, although you're not me, and although when it really comes down to it, you you haven't done anything and have no capability of doing mm-hmm. anything, I'm also there when the deer is giving birth to its child. Mm-hmm. And if I'm present in the woods with a doe giving birth to a fawn, 
Mm-hmm. I'm present with you in your innermost, small, tiny, yeah. minuscule problems. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love you so much that I am so big, but I'm so gracious and so humble in myself that I come down and I'm with you in these moments where nobody else is there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm with you in that abuse. I'm with you in that victimization. I'm with you. I see the church. I see mm-hmm. the American church. I see the pain it's causing. Mm-hmm. I see what religion has done, and I'm with you every yeah. step of the way. And, and I'm weeping with you in that. I'm groaning and mo- you know. Paul in Romans 8, I've heard you reference it before. We, and, and, and this is where Christianity is different from other religions, is that we have a God that actually weeps and hurts and groans and grieves over sin and, and injustice in our lives and, and in the world. And there's, there, we don't see that in any other religious systems, you know. Um, that we have a, a high priest, the writer of uh, Hebrews says, we have a high priest that went through everything that you and I went through. Uh, he was hurt. Uh, Jesus in, incurred uh, religious abuse. You know, he was shunned by the religious leaders and the authorities yeah. of his day. And they said, oh, that Jesus guy, he's a drunkard and he's a, he's a wine-bibber, he's a glutton. You know, he, he's doing things in the name of Beelzebub. You know, he's casting out demons in the name of other demons. So, I mean, he was... He's he hanging was out ab- with the unclean. He was abused, you know, just Religiously as, abused. Re- re- religiously abused, yeah, by the people that were supposed to raise him and pastor and shepherd him. And uh, so that's why he goes to the fringes. You know, that's why he hangs out with Zacchaeus, the wee little man. You know, Zacchaeus was the original gangster. He was a <laughs> he was a Roman tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. And Jesus says, "Hey, come down, little little dude. I'm going to go to your house, and, and we're going to hang out, and we're going to eat." That's because the religious institution had shunned Jesus and had demonized him. So that's who he's hanging out with. And that's our faith. That's that's what we're called to do. We're and called that to sit changed. and be gracious with people, no matter if they're chief tax collectors or the chief stripper at the strip club. Absolutely. We're supposed to sit down with them and show them grace. Or the broken church. Mm-hmm. You know? You know broken pastor. Exactly. Or the broken staff. Right? And and we so quickly become we should all of these things should happen, right? But shooting ourselves is not good. Shooting all over ourselves. Yeah, shoot our pants. The reality is, is that it would be nice if that wasn't the case. But the the Bible literally teaches us as Christians that that is going to be the case. That suffering is going to happen, mm-hmm. and that Christ suffered all things, mm-hmm. so that we could have a companion in our suffering. Yeah, Jesus promises you will you will suffer on account of my name. So if you've been through a religious abusive situation, if you're in one now. Unfortunately, unfortunately, the answer is Jesus. You know, and the church. It, yeah, it's that you are the church. You're a part of the church, and you have the power within you to heal the church. The Holy Spirit is going to work through you in such a way that you can bring education and teaching and, and, and what not to do into your community. Mm-hmm. Maybe you leave that church and you go to another one and you, you make a program that helps with abused women or you make a program that helps with abused men or you help a... A program that helps with porn addiction, you know, whatever the congregation you've been involved in or the denomination you've been involved in that's wounded you and helped you, please go and be healed. Come to some of us, find other safe people who have done that work, and you'll know them by their scars. You'll know them by their healing. You'll know them by the work they've done because they'll be boasting in their weaknesses and they'll be talking about what Jesus did in their lives. Those are the ones who are safe. And no one's safe but God. 
but ultimately those are the safest ones. And so go to them, find healing, find restoration so that you can come and be the answer for those that are still struggling and still lost and still um, stuck in the, in the religious structures of today, because God promises that his church will not fail, Mm -hmm. right? The gates of hell, right. Will not prevail. Mm -hmm. And he follows through with his promises. And so I, you know, I want people to understand that the answer to religious abuse is Jesus. And I know that that from a trauma perspective, if religions hurt you, then anything to do in the realm of religion is going to be triggering. Um, if you've been hurt by a male pastor or a leader in your life, or you've been hurt by leaders in the church over and over and over again, and then you go to work and there's a, a male leader, then that's going to be triggering. Mm -hmm. That's going to be overwhelming. It's going to be scary to be under that authority, but only you and the Holy spirit can work on healing so that you can figure out what's safe and what's not, or you just stay disconnected from the whole thing and you throw the baby out with the bathwater. Mm-hmm. And that's not good for you. That's not what God desires for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to encourage that to find that healing and being able to go back because at the end of the day, um, Jesus made that sacrifice and paid that way and did did that because it's the only answer to all these problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, is it Joshua one Joshua one eight? Choose this day whom whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Um, so I mean, it still comes back to choice, right? Like, yes, this happened to me. It was bad. It was traumatic. It was it was nightmarish. This happened to me, and but shouldn't I, have, and should not have, and it was not my fault. I didn't do anything to to do to, to bring this upon me. However, I have to choose, I have to choose healing. I have to choose to move forward. It's been said, I don't remember who said it, but you know, choosing not to forgive is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Yeah. You know, I choose this day who you will serve um, because that's where the healing is, is going to come. And it's gonna be hard and you'll be triggered over and over as you sit with your stuff and face it but you have to come to that desensitization you know that's an emdr thing you have to come to those places where the dragon is no longer bearing its fangs trying to kill you because you've faced that dragon and you didn't do it alone you did it in proper healthy community you did it in uh, in the holy spirit and you were able to really slay that dragon so that you could move forward and then that what i'm hearing you saying that becomes your ministry and your contribution to the church of Christ. Yeah. And if we look at the Bible, that that's the story of the people in the Bible. Mm-hmm. That's the story from Genesis to Exodus of God using fallible, broken people who are hurt by people to find Jesus for Jesus to suffer along and model along those behaviors to bring healing into their life. And then that made them want to go bring healing into others. Mm-hmm. Right. It made them, it, it, if you, if you accept that grace, if you, look the dragon in the face, so to speak, and you realize that that's a, it's a mirror, hmm. right? It's a mirror to our own ability, our own pain, our own ability to hurt people, our own ability to be selfish and to be lustful and to be egotistical. Then we, we can accept that grace and that mercy for ourselves and we can extend it to others. And that doesn't mean restoring relationships, right? The only way you would restore a relationship in the church um, in a marriage, in a in a family, is for the 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 abuser, the the person who is the person who did what they did that's negative, to have 
taken responsibility, made amends, explained why they did it, and then made a plan to make sure it never happens again in the confines of community and accountability. Mm -hmm. And then after they do that and build some trust, then you can move back into relationship with them. Mm -hmm. And so the church has to be a place and make a way for that to be the case. Mm -hmm. That when staff members hurt people, that one, everybody knows about it, not in a shaming way, but in an awareness way. Mm -hmm. And then there's accountability and, and exploration on why that happened and what level it is paralleled with support of the congregation member healing for the congregation member choice for the congregation member and the congregation member gets to choose when do I re-engage with that mm -hmm. uh, with accountability with the same kind of level of biblical teaching and, and forgiveness and but with patience and grace mm -hmm. and the Holy Spirit then works out the timing of that and does you know what I think is miraculous healing in mm -hmm. people's lives absolutely um, so you know there's not and we're working on this, right? I mean, I hope to write a book and I hope to write some training modules on this stuff over the next six months to a year. Uh, you're going to help me. And so I guess that's a public announcement. Um, we have to do it now. Yeah, we have to. Uh, and so we're in the process of doing that and figuring out how to communicate this well. But even outside of the steps um, and the understanding that the church in America, at least, that we can attack and help with um, and, and support um, the Satan's attack on the church, then we, um, we have to know that there's room for the spirit to work in that, that we're giving a structure and a thing, but we can't get in that trap of making it so archaic and structured that we think we're in control of all of it. Well, at the same time being like, well, we won't have any structure and the Holy spirit guys just going to do what he's going to do. Mm -hmm. You know, that it's a balance of, of both. And so, um, yeah, I hope that's, uh, I feel like we've summarized it pretty good. Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts? Mm -mm. You said some things that I that I wanted to say. I, I guess the the last thought is, you know, one of the questions that you asked me, you know, about healing, you know, what do you do? And you've already said, don't throw the baby, don't throw God out with the baby in the bathwater. But I and I would come under that and and add, you we have to learn how to exercise our authority and right in the priest the priesthood of the believer, right? So if you don't know what that means, I know, I know you know what that means, but the priesthood of the believer is that um, because of the death, burial, and resurrection, the language that Peter uses and the writer of Hebrew uses is that we are a royal priesthood. So we no longer need uh -huh. a, a, uh, a, like a pastor or a bishop or a priest to go to to confess our sins, to seek knowledge, uh, of the word like we can go to the source because we have the source the Holy Spirit living inside of us now with the caveat um, you can't just jump in willy-nilly and start reading the book of Leviticus and then go out there and try to live that out and teach that because it's so complex and nuances nuance you do have to find an interpretive community that's safe that you're describing to make sure that what you're reading and what you're understanding is 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 correct and good theology but once you have that mentor in your life that's what we do we keep exercising the right and the authority of the priesthood of all believers and that i think that will save us uh give us a lot of mileage and keep us from getting sucked into these charismatic leaders that say no i'm the one that has the anointing i'm the one that has the calling i'm the one that has the seminary degree. I know how to exegete the scriptures. Y'all don't. Y'all sit down and shut up. 
Like, no, the scripture doesn't even teach that. Right. We do have the ability to go and read and hear from God in the word. But again, I want to emphasize doing it in a healthy, interpretive community where you're all on the same page so that the trauma and stuff can just be um, hopefully pushed out. Yeah, that's good. And I, I hope to help, um, I hope this podcast helps people kind of get a lens for that and understand that there, you know, there's hope that, that, I mean, we're two dummies. So, I mean, if we're talking about it, other people are, but you know, there, there's a plan to, there are people out there, there are pastors, there are churches that are trying to equip and talk through these things in a way to be a healthier church in the future, mm-hmm. to be more open, to get back on the same page, to cross denominations, to, to get back down to what the original church you know, started from, which was to be Christ followers, mm-hmm. to follow Jesus, right? To, to know we're going to suffer, to know it's not going to be about flashing lights and great shows and smoke machines and music and how good the quality of the seats are and, you know, how many people are there on Sundays. Mm-hmm. Um, but to go, hey, we're going to have real missional community, real vulnerability, accountability, um, and we're going to do life together. Mm-hmm. And we're going to know and we're going to present as leaders our own weaknesses and our own struggles um, and show how Jesus is redeeming those because it's all about him. Mm-hmm. It's all about his ability to heal all of us, meaning all of us have problems and all of us have either had or are having things to be healed. Now, obviously that's going to be on a spectrum and I'm not saying pastors get up on Sunday and describe, you know, it specifically what your sin is. I wouldn't say to do that in any way. But speaking about your sin and giving some context to it and some vulnerability from the, the stage is important because that's your testimony. Mm-hmm. You can boast in your weakness and mm-hmm. not be afraid of it pulling you down because it's about Jesus, not about you. Yeah, and God gets all the glory. Yes. You know, God gets all the glory for the victory because the victory, you know, the victory over sin and death is through the cross, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the, the glory and the credit always has to come back to him. You, you've said it. You know, boasting in the, that's what boasting in the cross is. Yep. So God, his son gets all the glory. It's good stuff, man. I appreciate you coming on today again. I hope we covered it uh, well. Trying to look through my notes and think if we, uh, in my head and think about, did we do everything that I wanted to do? I think so. Um, Yeah. If you're out there and you're hurting and the church is, you know, quote unquote hurt you and the church of America's hurt you or it's currently hurting you, um, know that that's people. People are hurtful. Um, people are going to hurt you. Your family's going to hurt you. Churches are going to hurt you. You know, I'll fail. Uriah will fail. Every pastor on earth is going to fail and going to hurt you. Um, one, because we're imperfect. But two, let's let's look at it. Are we easily wounded? Um, and take some accountability ourselves. So we're in the role of trying to help the church and leaders and ourselves have accountability for ourselves. But as a congregation member, as a body of Christ member, as a fellow Christ follower, do you have accountability for yourself and can you, can you have some grace and some mercy and, um, and figure out how to do this walk because we're all called to the same thing and we're all on the same level. And so let's not prop pastors up, but let's not, not support pastors either. Mm -hmm. I'm not, let's not, um, isolate them and expect more out of them than we expect out of ourselves. Um, because we're all like Uriah said a couple of times, we're all in the priesthood. We're all on the same level. We're not separated by abilities because the pastor's doing what he can do because of the Holy Spirit, and you can do what you can do because of the Holy Spirit, and both have resurrection power 
um, in Jesus. So we love you guys. Um, hope this episode was good. I had fun doing it. Appreciate you always. We'll do some more. We might do part three, part four down the road um, as we get feedback from this. But yeah, please reach out, get some help. If you're a pastor in the community, in our community, or if you're a pastor in, in nationally, you know, we got a pretty good following now. Um, we'd love to help you with this. We'd love to give you some training. We'd love to give you some support. If you're uh, one of the branches that we want to do in the future is kind of a triage crisis management. So if there's a fall or there's a situation financially, or there's just a structure reorganization and we can come in and as Christians and as ordained ministers biblically help you walk through that, um, save your congregation and your staff, a lot of headache and a lot of trauma, um, over the long haul. Uh, we want to do that. So please reach out to us and have us come in and sit with you, you know, and humbly hear what's happened, uh, have empathy for that. Look at it from a systems point of view and, and help you do that work. Um, it would be amazing because I think so many times crisis has happened the church tries to deal with it or hide it or you know manage it the best they can without skill and without a, uh, anybody external and then it just kind of either gets swept under the carpet mm-hmm. and then that just continues down the line and you lose people and ultimately you know our job is to have humility so people come to Christ not leave so love you guys uh, subscribe like share um, we appreciate all your support um, and we're out God bless <laughs>